It took just over twenty minutes to reach McCulloch's home, a renovated farmhouse with a pair of barns come extensions on either side, and a U-shaped paved courtyard with a raised pond in the middle. A hideous-looking statue in the shape of an angel spouted water from its mouth. Netting as fine as muslin covered the pond to prevent marauding herons from taking the koi carp. The pristine farmyard overlooked acres of open fields that spilled downhill, beyond which the North Sea glinted like diamonds on a grey canvas. A police car, its doors open, sat beside a Lexus SUV with a private number plate, one letter and two numbers. Clearly the McCullochs had more money than they knew what to do with. The main door of the house was open too, and not a uniform in sight. It seemed that Gilchrist's worst fears were about to be realised. "'I don't like the look of this,' Jessie said as she stepped onto the courtyard. "'Call Anster to see if they've had anything.' He strode towards the farmhouse and entered without announcement. In the entrance vestibule his hopes soared when he heard voices. Had Mrs. McCulloch invited the uniforms inside for an early morning chat and a cup of tea? But a pair of school blazers hanging on a couple of hooks— and a phone on a corner table, its red light blinking to remind the McCullochs they had unanswered messages, dashed his hopes in the next breath. He followed the voices, his footfall echoing on the parquet flooring, and turned left into what he presumed to be the main lounge. One of the uniforms, a young WPC, was already on her way to intercept the intruder. In a firm voice she said, "'Step back outside, please!' Gilchrist flashed his warrant card, DCI Gilchrist, St. Andrews. We called Anster. Is that you? It is, sir. Yes, sorry, sir. PC Jennings, she said, and stepped aside. The other uniform, another constable Gilchrist did not recognise, finished talking on his phone, then turned to face him. His back to a wide bay window, through which Gilchrist saw Jessie speaking into her mobile. The PC introduced himself as Taggart, and gripped Gilchrist's hand as if intent on crushing it. Gilchrist thought the man's face looked drawn and tired, too pale, as if he had not seen the sun in years or had a good sleep in months. "'What have we got?' Gilchrist asked. "'They're upstairs, three of them, all in bed.' Gilchrist felt his heart jump and a lump choke his throat. "'The children?' Taggart grimaced. "'And the mother.' Something in Taggart's haunted eyes and in the resigned finality of his voice told Gilchrist to expect the worst. "'Show me,' he said. Gilchrist followed Taggart into the hallway as Jessie entered. "'Socos have already been called,' she said, "'so it's not looking good.' Gilchrist nodded. He seemed to have lost the power to speak. His feet felt leaden as he mounted the stairs to the half-landing in silence aware of Jessie behind him, then around a polished newel post and up another flight to the upstairs bedrooms. Taggart stopped at an open door on the left and held out his hand, an invitation for Gilchrist to enter. Even from where he stood, the posters on the bedroom wall told him it was the room of a teenage girl with a passion for boy bands. A powerful sense of familiarity came to him, memories of his own family. Maureen and Jack as children. How he had missed so much of their growing up because of work. How he would come home late from the office and find them both in bed, 
his only interaction with them being to kiss them goodnight when they were already asleep. So what have we got? Jesse asked and brushed past him. Gilchrist followed, but managed only two or three steps before pulling up. The murder scene was not what he expected. No blood, no mess, no disturbance of any sort. Just a young girl in her mid-teens, lying in bed, on her back, apparently asleep. He felt as if he and Jessie should be walking around the room on their tiptoes. The girl's eyes were closed, lips curled in the tiniest hint of a smile.